Amen. Morning, everyone. Hello, my friends. Hello, if you're watching online. Um, <clears throat> by the way, this isn't our actual final Sunday. We'll be here next week as well. Emma and I are going to share a few farewell thoughts and reflections uh, and um, some nostalgia and memories and probably an excuse for me to just blub for half an hour publicly uh, as I grieve uh, saying goodbye. So we are here next week, but, but I, rather than having one big goodbye, we thought we'd have a series of little goodbyes because my heart probably can't take one big goodbye. Um, we were tempted actually not to leave at all just because you're all saying such nice, lovely things to us. We were like, why didn't we pretend we were leaving earlier? <laughs> you're all being so kind. Um, so <laughs> no, we are actually going. But, um, so stick around afterwards. Uh, we'd love to see you. Uh, this is the second Sunday in Advent. Uh, but unlike last week, still November, uh, I think it just feels a bit more Christmassy this Sunday because we're into December. Probably your tree is up. My kids are eating cheap chocolate for breakfast. Great. Michael Bublé is on repeat everywhere you go. Last week, you heard my annual elf and safety joke, which I apologize for. And I wanted to just try another of my Christmas gags on you, if this is okay. And I actually enjoy the groans as much as the genuine laughter. We were on a drive uh, with my kids in the car, and they were telling me about how bad my dad jokes are. And I said, and I thought, okay, I'm going to make up a joke on the spot, tell you just how funny I am. And so I said to my kids, all right, try this on for size. Where did Mary and Joseph buy their food on the way to Bethlehem? Anyone? Of course, they went to their favorite sandwich shop, Pret a Manger. <laughs> I made that up. I genuinely, that's copyright Aid Aldridge. Pret a Manger. <laughs> so bad. I wanted to ask you if anybody else does this with your Christmas decorations. Does anyone else hang string? around the picture rail of their homes, or maybe a vert could be vertically or horizontally, and then you hang or uh, attach Christmas cards you received from pre that, that year. Is there so Does anyone else do that? And you end up with this kind of, yes, you end up with this kind of festive bunting around your house. And they're sideways. You can't see what the picture looks like anyway. It's just a bit of a strange tradition, but we do that. We do that in our house. Uh, and then what we also do, top tip, is we save them for next year to use as gift tags. Um, and looking back at the old Christmas cards, sometimes I've been struck, certainly by the religious ones at least, at how serene and unruffled the scenes seem to be. Cherubic angels, a glowing baby, lions and lambs cuddling up together. The stable, devoid of things you'd normally find in a stable. But when I read the Gospels, the scene is nothing like that. It's anything but serene or peaceful. It's messy and noisy and disruptive and chaotic and dramatic and, frankly, pretty far-fetched and hard to believe. You know people think we're crazy, right? People genuinely think we're crazy. I know everyone loves to come to church just once a year, to sing some carols. I know everyone loves going to their kids or their grandkids' nativities at school. I know everyone loves something a little bit mulled or a little bit mistletoed. But people definitely think that we're crazy 
for believing that Mary was a virgin and that Jesus was God come as a baby. Like they think, they think we're nuts to actually believe that. There's a scene in the US sitcom 30-something where Hope, who's a Christian, argues with her Jewish husband, Michael, about the holiday season. Why do you bother with Hanukkah, she says. Do you really believe a handful of Jews held off a huge army by using a bunch of lamps that miraculously didn't run out of oil? To which Michael replies, oh, and Christmas makes more sense. Do you really believe an angel appeared to some teenage girl who got pregnant without ever having had sex and traveled on horseback to Bethlehem where she spent the night in a barn and had a baby who just happened to turn, to, turn out to be the savior of the world? People think we're crazy to actually believe the incarnation. They think we're nuts. I think a lot of people, a lot of people probably find it hard to believe because they can't really make sense of this twee little Christmas story, this nativity story. They can't quite connect it to their questions or their stereotypes about, about God. And as I've spoken to people over the years, I'm sure you've had this experience many, many times talking to people who don't yet know Jesus. People have, well, for starters, people have big issues with God in the first place, if, whether he's even real or believable. And if they do believe in some kind of God, often people struggle to picture what God is like. They have a view of God that's basically been completely warped and twisted by culture or by the media or by their experience of a broken and hurting world. Lots of people just can't relate to God. God seems inaccessible. He seems unapproachable. Or maybe they just figure we've, we've been left to our own devices. The world was created however it happened. <clears throat> and if there is a maker, well, he's left us well alone. He's aloof. He's distant. He's far off. Or maybe, I've talked to people, maybe you have too, maybe they think that God is angry that he's punishing us, that he's just left us to suffer and die, that he's vengeful, haughty, proud. But every festive season, right in the middle of all the tinsel and the mince pies and the games of charades, we find this barely believable birth story. And if we look close enough, we find a God that smashes all of the prejudice and preconceptions, a God that in Jesus completely breaks convention and expectation, a God that has appeared. God with us in the most unexpected way. God come as a baby, like a child. That's the title of our Advent series this year. And this morning, I want to bring us, hopefully, to a place of awe and wonder again at the breathtakingly beautiful but almost too incredible to believe miracle that is God becoming a baby. And in preparation for my message today, I've been totally inspired by Philip Yancey's reflections on the incarnation in his brilliant book, The Jesus I Never Knew. And all the best bits from today are probably his. But let me reread the familiar birth story in Matthew chapter 1. I would say get open in your Bible, but you can probably recite it because you've heard it every year since you were born. It's on the screens as well. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're also overly familiar with the Christmas story, that first Christmas story. But the Bible says something really intriguing about Jesus. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Let me read from Colossians 1. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Or to put it in layman's terms, as my old pastor in Auckland said, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. So, this year, as you reread the gospel accounts, I want you to think about one thing. Let one question rise up in your mind. If Jesus came to reveal God to us, then what can we learn about God from this first Christmas? What can we learn about God from this first Christmas? Because at the very heart of the Christmas story, at the center of those sepia-toned Christmas cards, we find a God that isn't inaccessible or aloof or proud I want to suggest to you that the Christmas story shows us, in fact, that God is approachable, that he's humble, and that he's vulnerable. Firstly, Jesus shows us that God is approachable. I think people have an issue with how inaccessible and unapproachable God is seems to them. They can't see God. They can't touch God. It seems hard to to know him or to relate to him. I think lots of our neighbors and colleagues' experiences of God has just been through exposure to religion, frankly. How are you supposed to get to know someone if you sit in a cold church or read an old, dusty book? And if people do believe that there's a God out there somewhere, often they have, as I've said, this, this warped view of, of some vengeful God who's angry and petty and, and with his finger hovering over the smite button just in case we do something and mess up particularly horribly. And there's this assumption, this stereotype. I think it's probably partly informed by our loose and often limited knowledge of other world religions where fear seems to be the primary emotion when someone approaches God. Hindus offer sacrifices to appease their gods. Muslims bow down so low in prayer that their foreheads touch the floor. Even the Jews associate fear with worship. We can all think of encounters in the Old Testament, I'm sure, where the people met with God and they died on the spot, mishandle the Ark of the Covenant, or enter the Holy of Holies at the wrong moment, or if you've not done all the purification rites, and you drop down dead on the spot. Or if you were really lucky, maybe you get away with being singed by a burning bush like Moses, or half crippled with a limp like Jacob. Jewish children were raised to never speak or even spell the name of Yahweh for fear that they might meet an untimely death. But in Jesus, 
In coming to us like a child, God found a way of relating to us that didn't involve fear. Think about it. Can anything be less threatening than a tiny little baby? Have you ever met a tiny little baby and shrunk back in fear? Have you ever seen anybody meet a tiny little baby and cower, (laughs) wondering how scary this infant will be? I've never seen anybody do that. In appearing as a child, God made himself approachable, relatable, knowable. In John 1 verse 14, it says, The word became flesh. You know this passage. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In Jesus, God came in the flesh. The Latin is incarne, which is where we get the word incarnation, and also chili con carne. <laughs> Jesus, God became meat. Or slightly less gross, God came in the flesh. And as the message says, he moved into the neighborhood. It's just like we sang earlier, my favorite Christmas song, The Arrival by Hillsong. God, the God who created matter, took shape within it, like an artist becoming part of his own painting or an architect becoming part of the plan. God, if you like, wrote a play, only using real characters. In fact, becoming one of the characters, and he played it out on the stage of real history. The word became flesh. God is approachable. Secondly, Jesus' birth shows us that God is humble. Now, our unchurched friends and colleagues and our neighbors, they maybe have an issue with, with God because of their perception that he's proud and aloof. Maybe they've seen too many Marvel or Avengers films. I mean, how bad is Thor? Harris, I'm sorry, mate. Thor is a terrible, terrible movie. And and it reinforces people's impressions of God as living in, in some luxurious parallel world and only getting involved to occasionally wield their power or demonstrate their might. You've seen those movies. Ridiculous. People often have an issue with how aloof God is. He seems so far off, so, so distant, so far removed from our situation, seemingly uncaring. And then there's the suffering question. Why would God allow so much suffering? Doesn't he care? Why doesn't he do something about it? Every world religion proclaims that their God or gods are mighty and powerful I wonder if you've ever been to the Middle East. I've had the privilege of, being, uh, of having gone to the Middle East twice. And you often in the mornings hear the call to prayer, and you often hear people saying in their conversations or calling out, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, which means God is great in Arabic. Allah Akbar, and God, they believe that Allah is great. But the truth that Jesus shows us every Christmas time is that God is also little. God is little. The all-powerful, omniscient creator of the universe, Yahweh God, the same God that that, that made the world, he emerged in some obscure Palestinian backwater as a tiny little baby who couldn't speak, who couldn't eat solid food, who couldn't control his bodily functions. 
the Christmas story points to something that feels and sounds like a theological oxymoron, a humble God. When the God of the universe, who made the universe, came to earth, he didn't come with a fanfare or in a raging storm. As, as Yancey writes so beautifully, he says, unimaginably, the maker of everything shrank down, 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 so small as to become a single fertilized egg, barely visible to the naked eye, enlarging cell by cell inside a nervous teenager. Or as Paul describes it in Philippians 2, he, Jesus, made himself nothing, being made in human likeness, he humbled himself. We see more of the humility of God in the sense of scandal that forms the backstory and the context of Jesus' birth. Now, I get it. In the UK, where around 50,000 teenage girls get pregnant out of wedlock every year, Mary's particular predicament has undoubtedly lost some of its surprise and some of its scandal. But in a close-knit Jewish community in the first century where, frankly, everyone knew everyone, the news that the angel brought to Mary would not have been received as entirely good news. In fact, Old Testament law regarded a betrothed or engaged woman who fell pregnant by adultery as punishable of death by stoning. Joseph magnanimously agrees to stay with Mary rather than divorce her, but he would have had to live with the, the hot shame of his fiancée's growing bump for months. And think of the gossip tearing through the community. Small towns do not take kindly to children who grow up with questionable paternity. I wonder, did Jesus choose the least likely time and place deliberately? Did God want to make sure that he could never be accused of favoritism? The Christmas story shows us a God in Jesus who is humble. Not proud, but humble. I wonder how that attribute changes your view of God. How do you think of him? How might you approach him? How might you speak to him? Thirdly, finally, this first Christmas... In that beautiful story of Jesus' birth, we see that God makes himself vulnerable. He makes himself vulnerable. He could have stayed away. He could have kept himself removed, distant, safe, secure. But Jesus chose to be born into danger, exposed and vulnerable. The political climate at the time of Jesus' birth was similar to that of Russia in the 1930s under Stalin. Citizens couldn't gather in public meetings. There were spies everywhere. Everyone lived in fear of the ruler. Remember the evil King Herod? Remember King Herod in the story? Boo, hiss, he's the baddie. Herod is the baddie. Matthew 2, verse 16, remember the story. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity that were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. You remember the story, right? The three kings, there were three of them, uh, had visited Herod asking to visit, where is the new baby king to go and worship him? And Herod pretends to want to worship him too, but really he wants to kill this infant imposter. But God warns the Magi not to tell Herod and go back, they go back another way, not to tell Herod where Jesus is. So Herod 
in order to, to, to snuff out the threat, he just has every toddler, male toddler, massacred to make sure that Jesus is gotten rid of. Think of all the Christmas cards that you hang on your festive bunting. I've never seen a Christmas card depicting a state-sponsored terrorist act. Have you? But that was part of Jesus' birth, part of the story of his birth. If you think about it too, Jesus arrived really quite unsafe and unprotected. It wasn't like labor in our modern hospitals now with expert midwives and medical care and sanitized labor wards and machines on standby if anything goes wrong. Jesus was born far from home and far from help with no midwife and no extended family to show Mary how to care for her newborn or to give her a rest. Jesus was utterly dependent on a teenage couple for shelter and food and love. And then think about Jesus' early years. They were incredibly dangerous and volatile. He was incredibly vulnerable, exposed to, to, to danger and to, to, to harm. Probably like me, over the last few weeks, you've been aware in the news, you've been watching uh, various uh, stories of the plight of refugees. I've seen that there are boats stopping RNLI lifeboats from rescuing refugees who were smuggled illegally across the, the channel in tiny ribs. There are hordes of people pressed up against the razor wire of the Polish border, used as political pawns by the president of Belarus. You've seen that in the news. And I watch those stories and you read them in the paper. You can't help but think, surely, about Jesus. That was Jesus' experience. He was a refugee. Think about the context of his story. Mary was an unwed mother and homeless. She was forced to look for shelter while traveling to meet the demands of a colonial government. She lived in a land recovering from a violent war and still in turmoil, much like modern-day Syria or Somalia. She then bore a son, and that son became a refugee, fleeing to Egypt to escape Herod's massacre to the continent of Africa, where most refugees can still be found to this day. I wonder what Mary must have thought when she reflected on the angel's visitation and promised that her baby would be the son of God and would save the world from their sins. I wonder what she thought as her family fled across the border, hunted, helpless, and on the run. Jesus shows us a God willing to make himself vulnerable. I wonder. Perhaps Jesus' birth and early childhood gave him a, a special empathy for the poor and the marginalized. You read the Gospels and, and in his adult ministry, how often do we see him give time and love to the poor, to the powerless, to the outcast, to the underdog? And doesn't that comfort us now today that, that this is what our God is like. His heart is always for the poor, always for the least and the last and the lost, for the widow and the orphan, for the sick and for the broken. So if Jesus has shown us that God is approachable and humble and vulnerable, I wonder this Christmas how we should respond. If Jesus shows us what God is like. I wonder how we should respond to this God this Christmas. I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? God has made it abundantly clear that what he wants more than anything is to be in relationship with us, 
What he wants more than anything is to be in relationship with us. He has come all of the way, all of the way down from heaven. He's given up his rights and prerogatives as deity. He's made himself small. He's drawn incredibly close to us. He's made himself approachable. He's shown himself to be humble and vulnerable. In Jesus, God has come close to us, but he cannot make us and he will not force us to approach him. We have to choose to turn. We have to choose to take that final step and accept his embrace. I wondered if an illustration might help. So I've asked my friend Ian to come and be my beautiful assistant. It struck me that essentially what's happened is that if you face the... They're over there, mate. They're over there. Yeah, there we go. Here's Ian. Um, come stand in the middle, buddy. It struck me that essentially what happens is that when we're born, and Ian represents us, mankind, humanity, I'm going to represent God. Essentially what happens when we're born is that we have some kind of distance from God. It might be that we feel far off and never feel close to God in our early years, or it could be maybe we're brought up with an experience or an exposure to God, possibly in a Christian home, and we feel a little closer to God. But, but, but there is always distance from God. And as we grow up and as we grow into adulthood, life happens. And essentially what happens is that we start to move away from God and the distance just gets bigger and bigger, or it feels like it, and bigger and bigger. Things get in the way. Maybe we're unaware of God. Maybe sin gets in the way, or rebellion, or mistakes that we made. Maybe we make a complete hash of our life. We, 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 we make all the wrong choices, and it feels like the distance is really, really, really significant. But the Christmas story tells us what? It tells us that God has come close. Really, really, really close uncomfortably no. <laughs> but what happens oftentimes is that we don't know we don't know how close God is we don't know how much he loves us and we continue to move away we continue to sin we continue to rebel we continue frankly unaware and oblivious until maybe that one moment where we come to a realization or we we, we sh- a friend invites us to the carol service there you go another plug and we hear about Jesus and we realize in some way the love of God and we turn that's what the Bible calls repentance metanoia is to turn around and we turn and we face God and where is he he's not distant he never has been because he's drawn himself really close arms out wide ready to embrace us <laughs> thanks buddy In some ways, the Christmas story just tells us that. The gospel is literally that simple, that God has come close. He's made himself approachable and humble and vulnerable so that when we turn, when we repent, when we realize how much God loves us, we turn around and he's not way, 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 way far off. He's right there, ready to embrace us and bring us into relationship with us. Jesus shows us what God is like. He is the image of the invisible God. He is approachable. He's humble. He's vulnerable. But even more wonderful and incredible still is that the God who came like a child didn't stay a child, but grew up to be a man And a man whose life and death and resurrection completely changed the course 
of human history. I read to you earlier the passage from uh, Colossians 1, verse 15. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. But let me read you the next few verses. This is the child who grew up to be the man, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself, to God, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. This baby, this baby, this same Jesus is the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who is supreme and sovereign over everything, the one whom God is reconciling all of mankind to himself because this man, Jesus, was the same man willing to give up his life on the cross to take away the sins of the world. And then he rose again three days later in resurrection power, defeating death and Satan in one foul swoop so that we can be restored to right relationship with our heavenly father and experience new life right now from today and for the life to come amen now that that is a christmas message that i want to see on my christmas cards wouldn't you agree could it just be true might it possibly be true that this ridiculous almost impossible to believe nativity fable of a creator descending down to one tiny planet. Could it be true? Because if it is true, it is a story like no other. And if it is true, honestly, it is the greatest good news anyone could ever hear. The cosmos shaper has come down to earth. And Mary is counting his fingers and toes. Why don't we stand and we'll pray.